Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation today will take us to Washington, D.C. as we will bring you up to speed on the U.S. debt ceiling, why this topic is receiving so much attention, as well as shed light on potential market implications. So joining me for the conversation today, glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, Tom McLaughlin, Head of Fixed Income Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Uh, Tom, always great to be on the line with you. Thank you for joining us and looking forward to our conversation today. Good morning, Dan. It's great to be back with you. Absolutely. So, Tom, as I pointed out just a moment ago, uh, the topic of the U.S. debt ceiling, it has received a lot of media attention lately. So maybe we can begin with the basics and hit on some of the more direct questions. Can you explain to our listeners, our clients, what the debt ceiling is and how much is it? Uh, The most straightforward uh, definition is that the debt ceiling is the statutory legal limit on the aggregate amount of federal debt that the U.S. government can accrue over time. You know, it's been around a long time, uh, for more than a century now. Uh, until the First World War, Congress had authorized new bond issues as they were needed. But with the financial pressure of financing the mobilization of World War I, uh, Congress established an aggregate limit on how much debt the Treasury could accrue. And over time, uh, Congress delegated more and more authority to Treasury, that is the U.S. Treasury, over debt management. But it retained one very important check, and that's the right to impose a ceiling on how much money could be borrowed. Um, The debt ceiling does apply to almost all federal debt, including debt held by the public, as well as debt that the U.S. government effectively owes to itself, such as the Social Security and Medicare trust funds. Um, roughly 80% of the federal debt is held by private investors with the remaining amount held by government trust funds or held in other accounts. Uh, currently, um, well, as of August 1st, when the debt ceiling was reinstated, the amount of the national debt is $28.5 trillion, which is a significant amount of money. It really is, Tom. So I'm, I'm curious as a follow-up, why does the debt ceiling keep rising? Well, first and foremost, uh, the U.S. government runs annual operating deficits, which won't come as much of a surprise to our listeners. Uh, Those deficits are financed through the sale of securities to investors, treasury bonds, notes, bills, etc. Keep in mind that the U.S. government hasn't run a surplus since the late 1990s during the latter part of the Clinton administration. And every federal budget since then has relied to one degree or another on issuing more debt to make up the difference between what we spend on running the government and what we receive in the form of taxes. Uh, that's the primary reason. Uh, second, there, there are various federal trust funds. I mentioned, for example, the Social Security Trust Fund, Medicare Trust Fund. Uh, they've run surpluses, actually, in the past, um, although the, the outlook is, is less favorable as we look out 20 years in the future. But they have run surpluses in the past. And when that happened, the amounts above and beyond what was needed to pay the current year expenses were invested in Treasury securities floated by the federal government. And these Treasury obligations now have to be honored over time as individuals reach retirement age, which, have ha- which of course, is happening more frequently now that the ba- baby boomers have either reached retirement or are on the cusp of doing so. 
You think about what's happening in Washington at the moment, in particular up on Capitol Hill. Congress does have a full plate, to put it lightly, uh, dealing with infrastructure negotiations, budget negotiations for the next fiscal year. So why has the debt ceiling come up as an issue at the moment? It seems like a lot is all coming together at once. And and you're right, it is. So you have to go back uh, two years. Uh, The debt ceiling was suspended by Congress in 2019. Uh, for a two-year period. The decision to suspend the debt ceiling rather than to raise the debt limit, was it, you know, they're, they're connected, but they're a little bit different. The decision to suspend the debt ceiling has happened in the past when neither political party on Capitol Hill wants to confront voters during election season and own up to the fact that the aggregate the federal deficit has increased yet again. So instead of raising the debt limit, Congress occasionally simply will suspend it for a while. Now, the ceiling uh, was reinstated. That's why we call it a reinstatement on July 31st uh, this past summer, uh, because that was the date that was simply chosen by the last Congress in 2019 as an end to the suspension. They could have extended it beyond 2021, but Congress appears to have adopted this two-year cycle, which we've been in now for a couple of decades. The reinstatement meant that all Treasury debt obligations floated over the past two years were valid and binding obligations of the U.S. government. Uh, and that allowed the Trump administration initially and then the Biden administration to go ahead with various fiscal stimulus packages without worrying about what it was going to do to the, the debt limit because it had been, quote, suspended, unquote. But now that it's back in place, the federal government immediately reached this debt limit on the morning of August 1st. So it, it got reinstated and boom, they're right there at the debt limit. And, and again, that was a Uh, roughly $28.5 trillion. Now, Tom, we did recently hear headlines about Secretary, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. The Secretary had asked Congress to act on the debt ceiling in short order, mentioning that uh, the ability to conduct extraordinary measures to retain liquidity will be exhausted soon. Uh, That's an eye-opening headline. So what are these extraordinary measures that Treasury Secretary Yellen was referring to, Tom? Yeah, you know, Dan, it is an eye-opening headline, and we're going to see a lot more of them over the course of the next three or four weeks. So Treasury uses a variety of accounting and cash management maneuvers to avoid defaulting on its debts whenever it's obliged to await an action by Congress to raise the debt limit or, again, to suspend it. Uh, the extraordinary measures, that's, that's actually kind of a term of art, includes things like temporarily halting contributions to government pension funds, uh, using funds on deposit in federal employee retirement savings accounts to run the government. Obviously, you can't raise the pensions of federal employees and retirees permanently, so those funds have to be repaid whenever the debt ceiling is raised. Uh, the Treasury in the past has also reduced the amount of money held in certain special accounts within the Treasury, um, things like the, the Foreign Exchange Stabilization Fund, which usually has uh, a fair amount of cash in it, and, and that's what they've been doing over the course of the last uh, six weeks. Uh, but this is where it gets a bit tricky, because the first day on which the Treasury Department has exhausted its borrowing authority uh, and can no longer rob Peter to pay Paul while it awaits you know, congressional action is referred to as the, quote, X date. And you'll, you'll hear that term a lot. The, the pandemic resulted in changes to the government's cash flow. Um, so the so-called X date is actually more difficult to predict this year than it has been in the past, uh, which is why 
Secretary Yellen has not actually given Congress a specific date, uh, but is expected to do so pretty shortly. Treasury has declined thus far to, to give a more precise estimate, again, because it's kind of wrestling with um, the, the whole changes to the Treasury cash flow because of COVID. Um, I suspect they will probably um, have a very good idea as to what that X date is going to be once the quarterly uh, tax collections come in on the 30th of September. The best outside estimator of when the X date might be historically has been the Bipartisan Policy Center, which is a think tank in, in Washington. And they're estimating that Treasury will run out of cash sometime between the middle of October and early November. Okay, so more to come there, though. I'm curious, Tom, will Congress act on this? What do you think in consideration of everything else that Congress is dealing with at the moment, as we spoke about earlier? Yeah, the Congress will definitely act, and they must act. Uh, we believe they will, uh, but it's tough to say exactly when that will happen. Uh, currently, Democrats uh, in the House of Representatives and the Senate uh, are expected to append a suspension, another suspension, of the debt ceiling to a continuing resolution uh, to run the government as early as next week. Um, and that suspension that they'd like to uh, get through Congress uh, would run the government or fund the government, if you will, to early December. Uh, it would include money for disaster relief and Af uh, Afghan refugee reset resettlement. The Democrats argue that the debt ceiling simply reflects the payment of money already spent by Congress and that the U.S. is obliged to simply pay its bills, and there is some merit to that argument. Uh, the GOP, though, has already said that they're open to a continuing resolution, that is, to go ahead and fund the government for a few more months, uh, but has informed the Democrats that they will not raise the debt ceiling and has threatened to filibuster, or at least some senators have threatened to filibuster any move to raise the debt limit as part of that continuing resolution. The Republican view is that the Democrats control both houses of Congress and the White House and have the means of raising the debt limit through budget reconciliation. Uh, moreover, they argue that Democrats are in the midst of expanding the size and scope of government materially. So if that's the case, then this year, they should be on the hook for raising the ceiling themselves. Um, there's a mechanism to do that, again, through the budget reconciliation process. The real reason that this is becoming such an issue is that raising the debt ceiling through reconciliation requires an actual number, uh, say, pick a number, $3 trillion. Uh, you simply can't suspend it through budget reconciliation. That has to be done through normal order in the Senate. So the, the, the crux of the problem right now is that Democrats want to suspend the ceiling uh, while pushing through a continuing resolution, the Republicans are trying to force the Democrats to say, no, you're not going to suspend it this time. You're going to raise the number, and we're going to actually put a number out there of, of how high the federal deficit is going. There, the GOP is effectively forcing Democrats to go on record before the midterm elections with an actual number, which is not a very pleasant vote for the current majority. So, Tom, if Congress doesn't act, and based on what you've just shared with us there, it sounds like that this will indeed be a priority of Congress, though if Congress does not act, what could be the market implications? How would markets likely react to that? Yeah, and, and again, to emphasize, we do expect Congress will act one way or another. Um, the most likely scenario today could change again is that it would have to be done through reconciliation. Um and we'll see how that plays out. But in short, um, we, will, we would expect to see a lot more volatility in short-term fixed income markets if Congress doesn't act reasonably promptly. In other words, if we get closer to that X date, uh, where uh, once we have the actual date, 
when Treasury says, hey, listen, we can't move money around anymore. We're, we're at the limit here. And this is the date on which if you don't act, there'll be a default. Um, any vote to raise the debt limit as part of CR is likely to fail next week in the Senate. This raises the possibility that the government will shut down a week from Friday, uh, the first day of the federal fiscal year. Now, markets, uh, financial markets in the U.S. have uh, learned over time to brush off most government shutdowns. Uh, you know, the idea being that once national parks begin shutting down and federal government offices close their doors, the pressure starts building on Congress to pass some sort of a continuing resolution. But the prospect of reaching the debt ceiling X date sometime later in October without a resolution by Congress is far more troublesome. The, the best um, comparison, I guess, uh, we've had is in 2013 when Congress came within 48 hours of reaching the X date. Uh, and the default on government debt looked at that point like a real possibility, again, eight years ago. Um, so it's a reasonably good barometer then of what might happen if Congress doesn't act. And what we saw in 2013 was that short-term Treasury bills, those coming due, say, within 45 days of the X date, sold off quite abruptly. Uh, the yield on those uh, very, very short-term securities coming due soonest after the X date uh, the yields rose from one basis point to 50 basis points in a matter of days. Um, so it was, it was quite volatile. Commercial paper yields also rose, uh, though not as much as the short-term treasuries did. Uh, and there were also some delays in the issuance of, of new commercial paper by corporations um, and banks. But the short-term repo market also saw some disruptions uh, because some counterparties wouldn't accept some individual treasury securities, again, those that were coming due soonest, as eligible collateral. What we might see in this instance is a flattening of the yield curve. Um, and I, I think that's a distinct possibility if we get, again, if we get close to the X date, as some investors will probably sell off on the short term and gravitate to long maturities in the treasury market. Uh, fortunately, we don't expect to see a permanent disruption in the U.S. fixed income markets, but it is reasonable to expect some market volatility if a government shutdown is compounded a few weeks later with a standoff between the two parties over the stead ceiling. So uh, over the course of October, I think all eyes in the market will be focused on what's going on at Capitol Hill. Well, there's a lot at stake. So, Tom, very helpful clarity and timely insights on a topic that has gained much attention and carries with it substantial implications. So, Tom, thank you for bringing our listeners, our clients up to speed. And we'll, of course, track this very closely. Uh, Great catching up with you as always, Tom. Thank you for dropping by today. Great to talk to you as always, Dan. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. And again, today we've been joined by Tom McLaughlin, Head of Fixed Income Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So as a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, as well as portfolio allocation. These resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO, including a recent blog authored by Tom McLaughlin, uh, which ties right into our conversation today. This was authored on August 17th, The Return of the Debt Ceiling Debate. So that's now available up on UBS.com forward slash CIO for your reference. Though if you are a client of UBS, of course, you can contact your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of that blog directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, Tune in, 
Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.